You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here, and we have made it to the end of the Ten Commandments. Huzzah! And what a fun journey it's been, right? Yes, yes. As we've said, ever since we began this journey, the Ten Commandments are a gift of grace. Yeah, from God himself. They're given to us to protect and enhance a life of freedom. Freedom, yes. And we know this. We know that they're given to us as a, as a gift of grace to protect and enhance a life of freedom because they're given to us after... God sets his people free out of slavery. And so God's rescuing acts precede the call to respond. And that's the that's theme all throughout the Bible. God is always on the front foot. He rescues us from our sins, from our addictions, from our bondage. And then, and then he lays out the pathways of life. And in this final commandment, we actually are coming face to face with probably the most complex commandment. Now, why is it so difficult? Why is it so complex? Well, this commandment is really hard to spot when it is broken. You know, murder you can see. Stealing you can see. But man, this one's hard to see. Now, Jesus knows this. Jesus knows this about this last commandment. Uh, there's a story that he tells in Luke chapter 18. And it's about a, a rich young ruler who approached Jesus and asked Jesus a very important question. He says, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he responds by quoting the five commandments that precede the very last one. So he says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill do not steal, do not lie, honor your father and your mother. And the young man's going, that's easy. I've done all those things since I was a young man. Um, uh, this is no problem. But you see what Jesus did here. He actually lays out the commandments, but he leaves out a particular commandment. He leaves out the last commandment, which is do not covet. Do not covet. And if Jesus had included this, the man maybe would not have been so confident in his response. In fact, Jesus knew that the issue for this young man was precisely the Ten Commandments, or the, the Tenth Commandment, do not covet. And so he says to him, he says, oh, well done. You've kept all these commandments. Good. Sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor, and you'll be good to go. And the, we read that the man walks away dejected because that, was the issue that he struggled with. And that's the kicker with this last commandment. Many of the commandments we can say, hey, I've kept all these commandments. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered. I haven't done these things. But this last commandment is harder to spot because it addresses the inner life of the human heart. It challenges our thought life, what we dream about in our free time. And the things we dream about in our free time are not always good for the soul. So the 10th commandment, let me read it to you. Well, actually, let's stand as I read it. Uh, 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. What does this mean? And speak to us, not just out there, what does it mean? But speak into our hearts, what does this mean? And then grant us courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, in this last commandment, we come face to face with the reality that in order to flourish, we need to place our entire life before God. As the old hymn puts it, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And in many ways, this 10th commandment, do not covet, brings us full circle. Brings us full circle to the first commandment, which is... You should, <laughs> I know, it's like 10 so long ago. You shall have no other gods before me, right? And so, right from the beginning, God, he demands our heart, our soul, our strength. The following eight commandments, he lays out the areas of what this could look like. What does it look like at work? What does it look like in terms of how you rest, how your relationships with your families, um, with, your, with your neighbor? And then here in this last commandment, God makes a complete and total demand, reminding us that if we're to walk in the ways of life, if we're to walk in a way where our freedom is protected and enhanced, it needs to not just be out here, but it needs to penetrate our hearts. And so this commandment, this 10th commandment is given to us to pre prevent us from becoming shallow, superficial Christians. This commandment prevents us from looking at our neighbor going, well, at least I'm doing better than he is. I'm doing okay. No, this commandment cuts to the heart and reminds and reveals how deep our sin goes. In Hebrews um, 4 verse 12 it says for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts and so what Jesus is teaching us or what God is teaching us through this um, these Ten Commandments is that the realities of God need to cut to the heart and Jesus was often speaking to the Pharisees because the Pharisees is a religious group they often looked the part, but inside their heart was messy, was a mess, which is a reminder, I think, to us, because sometimes as Christians, we can be shiny, happy people, but in the inside, we're an absolute mess, right? And over and over again, Jesus says, nah, it's not just about out here, it's, it's what's going on inside the heart. So, covetousness, do not covet. What does it mean to covet? What is covetousness? Well, it's essentially three things. Put it up on the screen. It is the heart's desire for something that belongs to someone else, and it is often accompanied by thinking and scheming to acquire. Let me say that again. It's the heart's desire, so it comes from the heart, for something that doesn't belong to us, and it's accompanied by thinking and scheming to acquire. So you see why this commandment is difficult. Because how do you know when you've broken it? How do you know when you cross the line? 
When does something become coveting? When does a right desire become a wrong desire? So take, for example, admiration. I admire somebody. I admire this sports star. I admire this thinker. I admire, you know, this politician. I admire, you know, this actor. I admire this person. So far, so good. But admiration can go wrong. Admiration can turn into jealousy, envy, idolatry, and obsession. I like this actress. I like her so much that I'm going to follow her wherever she goes. I will send her 1,000 emails in the next week. <laughs> I read that in the news. That happened with somebody recently. Um, I will reduce her to an object that I desire to possess. Or I will desire to possess what they have. Popularity, glamour, looks. And it can fall into envy. It's like, I desire this, I desire this. And if I can't get it, neither shall you. That's what envy is. Envy is not just desiring your neighbor's stuff. It's, I want it. If I can't get it, you can't have it. But, but sometimes admiration's fine. I just admire the sports star. So what's the difference? It's tricky. The, problem, the, the issue with the 10th commandment is this. It's, it's illegitimate desire. It's when we desire something that belongs to someone else and is not available to us. And you see this many times in the Bible. You see the story of David, King David. Should have been off fighting in the wars, but he sticks around. He sees this woman Bathsheba. He, he desires her, and it's illegitimate. She wasn't his wife, led to adultery and murder. And so one way to think about this is we, when we cross the line, we cross the line when we start to imagine how we might possess something and what it would be like to have it. And when, so covetousness happens when we allow our hearts to go down paths that they shouldn't go. Maybe fantasizing, creating scenarios where we get something that we deeply want at the expense of another. So, you see the issue with covetousness. It's an issue of the heart. And you can see how it's related to the first commandment because covetousness, the issue with covetousness is we take that thing, that person, whatever it is we so want, and we put it in the place of God. So it brings us full circle. And so covetousness is rooted in our dissatisfactions. God is not enough. I want this thing. It's rooted in a desire to play God with our, for ourselves and to get what we want. And so Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 3, he equates covetousness with what? With idolatry. And, and, covet, and covetousness can cause not just great harm to the object we desire, but it can destroy our soul. It leads to slavery because you're obsessed with getting that thing. I am not happy until I get a house on the Westwood Plateau. And everything is going to be geared to getting that mortgage. I don't care what the interest rates are. I will get that house. And everything, everything in my life is focused on that one thing. And who is squeezed out but God? It becomes idolatry. And my mind is constantly obsessing with inappropriate desires. And I can't even begin to contemplate what is good, what is true, what is beautiful. Because I want that thing. Now here's a problem with covetousness. <laughs> here's the big problem. 
is we live in a culture that promotes covetousness, don't we? There's another term for that. What's it called? Consumerism. And what is the driving message of consumerism? What is the driving message in all advertising and marketing? It's, it's two easy messages. One, look how awesome this stuff is. Two, look how terrible you, your stuff, your life is without it. Right? That's the message. And so with this, with the culture of consumerism and covetousness, you get other messages. You deserve better, pride. Everyone else has better stuff than you, envy. If you had better stuff, you could save a lot of time, sloth. And to sell these messages, you, you appeal to lust, avarice, gluttony. And so, basically, in our culture today, to promote a culture of covetousness, you basically have to embrace all seven deadly sins. Right? Gluttony, pride, lust, avarice, anger, sloth, and envy. And one of the driving messages of a culture of covetousness is this, is that your value, the meaning of your life, consists in the abundance of your possessions. Which, by the way, is opposite to what Jesus teaches us. Now, here's the other challenge. In history, covetousness has always been bad. But we live in a world that is designed to promote and encourage covetousness. And so we read slogans like, um, born to shop. Do I have images up there? Yeah. I shop, therefore I am, right? Um, and, and everything is designed to create covetousness. Okay, so let me have you uh, exegete this <laughs> ad. Here, hit the next one. Okay, so what's going on in this picture? Let me hear from you. What do you notice? That's not how I get happy. Okay, good. How are they trying to promote this? What do you notice? Okay, he's not happy. Yeah, he's probably middle-aged. <laughs> but what else? What else do you notice just with, with color? Oh, yeah, but look at the other colors. Yeah. Everything else is a really gross beige, right? His, his, his vest, his pants, his shoes, the wall, even the car next to it is kind of like oh, a K car or something like that. And so it's like, this is what life is. This is what life is. It's bland until you get in and get happy. Now, this is just one of many, many, many ads. But I was, this week I was just scanning stuff. Um, I was reading about the summer. Dive into the summer to get the right tech. That was one of the uh, advertisements. There's an early Black Friday sale. <laughs> Honestly, you're still, it's not even a Canadian thing, and you're m milking it in July. Um, there's one company, their tagline is, We Got Stuff. Now, I love what David Gill says in his uh, book on the Ten Commandments. He says, he doesn't mince his words here. He, he writes, what a pathetic excuse for a meaningful life hanging out in the artificial world of shopping mall zombies and robots instead of walking through a forest and having a friend over for coffee and conversation, baking bread, tending a garden, or reading a good book. 
It's not going to be easy to re resist our desires in the environment like a mall. And you think about it. This is just kind of fun stuff. How does a mall, how is a mall designed to promote covetousness? What are some ways? Okay, very good. Where are the windows in a mall? It's just in the ceiling. So you have no sense of time. There's no, there's no side windows. What else? Have you ever seen a clock in a mall? There's no clocks in malls. Are there any stop signs when you're entering into a mall parking lot? No, but they're on their way out. They want to, they want to make it as hard as possible to get out. But coming in, there's not a single stop sign to enter a mall. Now, you can keep going and keep going. But this, the whole culture, our whole culture is designed to encourage covetousness. And here's the other problem is that we can say, oh, the bad mall and covetousness. But covetousness is not just out there. It's in the church as well. It's in our obsession with novelty and change and the way we use marketing techniques to promote the gospel. Um, wanting to be like the mega church down the block, right? Envy factors in, right? So, how do we get on track? How can we overcome these challenges of covetousness that are so ingrained in our culture? Well, you probably know many of them, but we'll just walk through a few. One, we need to guard our mind. Sounds simple, but it's not easy. I love what Martin Luther once said, the 16th century reformer. He says, we cannot prevent birds from flying over our heads, but we can prevent them from making a nest in our hair. I like that. And that could be part of our response. We need to prevent what we see and experience from building a nest in our consciousness. That means guarding our hearts and our minds against illegitimate desires. It means being careful what we take in, what we watch, what we consume. Proverbs says, like a city without walls, so is a man who lacks self-control. So one of the things I love doing is I love looking at commercials and just exposing what the messages are and how they try to manipulate that. Do that. It's fun. It is actually fun. Secondly, we need to guard our appetites. So we need to set boundaries by being disciplined, by having budgets, spending within our means. Resist the temptation to buy now, pay later. Ask yourself, have I ever been in a situation where I wanted to buy something and I actually resisted? If you can't say yes, then that's a problem, right? And thirdly, and it's, it's connected to this, is we need to take our thoughts captive. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 10, is by taking our thoughts captive. So when you see something, or you see something, do you want to possess it, and what do you do with that? Well, you need to take those thoughts, the moment they happen, and place them before Jesus and say, man, I don't want this, I don't want this in my life. The other thing we need to do is, is give stuff away. What better way to fight against a culture of consumerism than just giving away stuff? Just give it away. It's the best way to deal with the desire to possess. And when you're constantly giving stuff away, you're training your heart. And that's one of the things I love about our cars ministry in our church is we give away cars. I love that about our food pantry and about so many of you who, don't, who donate your time. You give your time 
in, in volunteering in different areas in the church, you're giving away time. That's very good. The other thing we can do is, I just put this down, delete stuff. What do I mean by that? Well, look at your email feed and look at your Instagram, what's always popping up. And maybe you need to unsubscribe from <laughs> certain things that just keep showing up on your news feed that are promoting a culture of covetousness. And so I know it's going to be hard to unsubscribe from your Pinterest account, but maybe you need to delete these apps so it's not always in front of you. The other thing is we need to learn to desire the right things. I like what um, St. Augustine in the 4th century said. He says, the call of the Christian life is to love the right thing to the right degree in the right way. The call of the Christian life is to love the right thing in the right, to the right degree and in the right way. And so the Christian life is ultimately about what I love and what I don't love. And our consumeristic culture is killing us. And so part of our challenge as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is, is we need to develop two things. And now they're, 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 they're geeky words, but I think they're kind of fun. We need to cultivate a Christian aesthetic and a Christian ascetic. <laughs> so I just thought they were... What is aesthetics? What does that mean? It's about beauty, is actually. It's about beauty. It's a, th it's a theory of beauty. And so we need to learn how to love beautiful things in the right way. So an example is if you're out walking about and you see a beautiful waterfall, it's like, wow, what a waterfall. I need to take a picture and post it and see how many likes I get. All right? Or, or I just say, what a beautiful waterfall. Huh, thanks be to God. And you move on. Oh, that's going to be so hard for so many of you. It's like, but, but it's so good with the right filter. I can get so many likes. Um, <laughs> I want people to know how awesome my life is. Um, it's hard. But why not just enjoy something without needing to possess it? Look at art without needing to buy it. Listen to music without needing to possess it. Everything in our culture is like, I love this, I want it. Can we not just appreciate something for its own sake? That's one thing. The other thing is the word ascetic, uh, A-S-C-E-T-I-C, -E um, is, is to is to deny the body for spiritual benefits. And, and one of the greatest practices I saw described is by a guy, again from the 4th century, I'm stuck in the 4th century today, by a guy named John Christostom, and he has this image of our appetites and our covetousness as a ravenous animal, and which looks like this. You can hit the next slide. That's what a ravenous... Okay, so that's our heart when that sale at Best Buy shows up. Right? It's like, oh, it's on sale. It's the newest iPad. I just have the second newest. Um, and, and our hearts are trained to say, I want this. <coughs> but what John Christossum of the 4th century, he says, what we do is, is we need to starve the ravenous animals inside our soul. And so that they become weak. And weaker and weaker and weaker. And so when that new shiny whatever happens to show up, all you get is a little murmur. It's just like, yeah, no, I'm good. 
But if we keep feeding it, if we keep feeding it, that's what you're just going to have all those things, those ravenous animals in your soul, and they won't shut up. And they will do a number on you. And so you need to starve these animals, metaphorically, right? You know what I'm saying, right? And so that they, they do not cause problems. I like what Joy Davidman says. She says, there is in this last analysis only one way to stop covetousness and the destruction of body and soul that spring from covetousness. And that is to want God so much that we can't be bothered with inordinate love or wants for anything else. So at the end of the Ten Commandments, we come back to the beginning. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus teaches us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Meditate on the great grace of God because the God we worship is a God who so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave, right? He's a giving God. And so we need to align ourselves with the Ten Commandments. So my encouragement to you is, as if you've been following through the Ten Commandments, is when we finish it, it's like, well, okay, done with the Ten Commandments. What's next? But no, go back. These are words of life, and they are designed for our humanity. And when our lives are aligned to the Ten Commandments, we live in freedom and we flourish. And you become the person that you were created and redeemed to be. Does that make sense? Yeah? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the ten words, for the ten commandments. We thank you that um, our lives will only work insofar as nothing is placed before you. That you alone are our life. You are everything. Lord, your word teaches us that your son Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is a grand architect, and when our lives are built in accordance to the grand architect, it works the way it's supposed to work. And so we're thankful for the gift of the Ten Commandments. They're not means of your love. Your love comes first. But then these are pathways in which we can walk and live. And so help us, Lord, even with covetousness, um, to look deep inside our hearts and look at where our minds go when we're at rest. Where do, where, what scenarios do we constantly be building? And Lord, we pray by your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to remove these things that get between us and you. We're thankful that our starting point is grace. We're thankful for the cross and for the life that you have given us. We're thankful for your very presence in our life, the Holy Spirit. And so we commit our lives to you. Go before us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.